only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 38, excuse me, 35 through 38, but we'll finish through 39 since it ends on a... Uh, Conjunction. Um, if you're interested in following, you can look on page 945 in, um, in the Blue Pew Bible. The Word of our Lord, Romans 8:35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, let's pray again together, please. Lord, as we come to this precious word, open up our eyes to behold wonderful things. Open up our eyes that we may see your glory. We may see your greatness. That we may see your salvation. And believe and worship and serve gladly this God who has done such things for his people. Bless us for the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Some of you who are newer to our church have said this to me, and some of you who've been with us for some time, because we haven't dealt with some of these issues from the pulpit about election and predestination, have said this has really been helpful and very, very good. I've, I've never heard anything like this before. Not saying I've never heard anything this great before, but uh, <laughs> nobody said that. But uh, I've never heard this topic, you know, dealt with in that way. Um, to give a little anecdote from one of our members who had been in a Baptist church for some years, and while he was there, had listened to some R.C. Sproul tapes, and those of you know, R.C. Sproul is a strong Presbyterian guy, and he teaches a lot about election. But he teaches widely on any subject, but he doesn't shun away from or shy away from this subject. And so he had heard him 
speak on that some uh, on tape uh, and or CD. You know, that's the old language here. Um, yeah, we all have an eight track, right? Uh, <clears throat> but um, he came the very Sunday. I think it was in the first two years I was here. He came the very Sunday we happened to get to this topic in Sunday school. Okay, and. I taught on this, uh, the subject of predestination because, and I had, I've been teaching for a year and a half and hadn't touched on that subject, but we just happened to the first morning he came. And so a month or two later, as he was reflecting on it, I love the way he put it because he had gone to his pastor, by the way, and talked to him about election. His pastor said, well, I believe that, but I just don't know that you can talk about it that much. You know, it's kind of like, Keep it under wraps, you know. Don't really let people know we believe this. But, yeah, I, I, I hold to that. So that's kind of the attitude he had been with in that church. And so a month or two later, he said, you know, when I heard you speak about predestination, I'd heard it on tape, but I'd never heard it live and in person. You know? <laughs> and I would never reveal that that was Steve Allen, but that's who that was. But, you know. <laughs> So we're, what's good about going through a book like Romans or Ephesians or any book is that you can't say, well, they're just on this hobby horse of talking about predestination. The word is there in the text. You just go through the text. And, and that helps preachers because we, we like our own little things, you know, with certain things we feel more comfortable with, others less comfortable with, certain things we may think. We want to emphasize, but when you go through a book like this, you just try to preach what's on the text and, and apply it to God's people. And so we've come to this glorious section of Romans. Uh, one of the things that we've pointed out is the favorite verse, Psalm, uh, in verse 28, that all things work together is based upon the logic of Paul or the, the reality that the reason all things work together is that God loved us before the world began. He predestined us to conform to the Christ's image in the end. And then he called us and justified us and he'll finally glorify. So everything is headed to this final conformity to Christ, this final glorification rooted in the eternity that he loved us and predestined this to happen. So all things work together for good. Why? There's a plan from God that started before the foundation of the world and will not end until that final day. That's why all things work together for good. We tend to, we love to lay hold of Romans 8.28, but we kind of shy away from talk about God's plan or predestination or election and, and the like. Uh, the word elect is in this context as well. But we have to, have to again realize God's sovereignty, His sovereignty in planning the world and ruling the world and bringing the world to a final consummation according to His plan is the only way all things could work together for good. It's the only way. Otherwise, things are out of His control. They're out of our control. We don't know what's going to happen. God doesn't know what's going to happen. We're all scrambling, including God. But no, by His grace, everything, as Paul says here, assists us. It's the literal meaning of the word. Everything assists us to this final good that will be conformed to the image of Christ. 
And that's why he says in verse 31, as we've seen, therefore nothing can be against us. <laughs> if everything assists us, who is against us? If God is for us in this way, if God is so for us to this plan that he's carrying out to the end, then well, he's God, then nothing can be against us. Even though terrible things may happen to us, disastrous things from a human standpoint, ultimately it can't affect the plan that God has to conform us to the image of Christ. And so all things assist us. There is nothing that stands against us. And then he gives the supreme reason that God gave his son. Is he going to withhold anything good from you? Is he ever going to neglect you? Is he ever going to have his back turned on you? Is he ever not going to be pouring out his grace into your life and constantly loving you and allowing only those things that he chooses for your good? If he gave his son for you and didn't hold him back, he's not going to hold anything back, even though it feels like he's holding back on me. It feels like he's hurting me, neglecting me, not aware of how painful and how difficult this is. Uh, it, it seems like he's abandoned me, but no, he can't. He won't abandon me because he gave his son. And so, as we saw last week, Christ is God's commitment. Christ defines our life. Christ is our perspective that he's given his son. And so we come to this grand finale, right? This ringing, uh, glorious, magnificent final statement in verses 35 through 39. This really is the culmination of chapters 5 through 8. Chapters 5, that chapter 5, verse 2, that says, We stand in this grace, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so all of these chapters have been talking about that process of God bringing us to this final glory. And now, on the mountaintop, so to speak, he says, therefore, who is going to separate us? Who is going to hinder God? Nothing can separate us from this love. But he began way back in chapter 5 saying, we have hope of the glory of God. And he's just underscoring that hope here in Romans chapter 8. And the culmination of this glorious four chapters on hope. I'd like to look at it from the perspective of his love. Because that's what's so prominent, isn't it, in this passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 39, nothing shall separate us, separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'd like to look at it from that perspective. From God's love, because that is the defining reason that we will be in fellowship with Him. First, just to mention again the scope of this love. Number one, the scope of this love, and remind you that the meaning of the word in verse 29, He foreknew us, means that He was intimate with us. He set His love upon us. It's a, it's a word of special regard and care. Not unlike Adam knew Eve, right? Uh, I've, I've known you. Among all the peoples of the earth, he says to Israel, I've known you. I know about everybody. I know every fact about every single thing on this earth. But I've known you. I'm intimate with you. I've set my love upon you. I have my special care upon you. That's why, again, in Colossians 3.12, he says, You're chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
Chosen, beloved, always associated together. So that he loved us beforehand. And this love that he's talking about in verses 35, 37, 39, this love that cannot, from which we cannot be separated, you can see that Paul meant he loved us beforehand. And therefore this love cannot be denied and this love will bring us to the end in glorification and conformity to Christ. Therefore nothing can separate us from this love. But sovereign love. Uh, so we see the scope of this love. It's not just has begun here, but it's a love rooted in eternity. Then secondly, notice the giver of this love. We have an interchange here of the love of God and the love of Christ. And Paul exchanges these in his writings. Uh, For instance, the love of God is mentioned specifically in verse 39, the love of God in Christ. That's what we had back in Romans 5, verse 5. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Or verse 8, God shows his love for us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. And sometimes that's underscored as in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and, and verse 5 where Paul says this, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. We see, he, he thinks of the steadfastness of Christ, but the love of God. So a special emphasis on the love of God. Or that great benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians 13. Uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But there again, peace, Christ, Fellowship, Holy Spirit, love of God. So that's emphasized in Scripture. However, in this passage, the love of Christ is emphasized. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And that's very likely what he's talking about in verse 37. Through him who loved us. Because that's that phrase Paul uses. Who loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, in Ephesians 5, or who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2. And so he's probably at that point reflecting on uh, Christ sacrificing himself. And you have in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that the love of Christ controls us. Or Ephesians 3.19, I pray that you'd know the height and depth and length and width of the love of Christ. It's remarkable. Remarkable that there's this association of the love of the Father, or the love of God, and the love of Christ, and that He can use them interchangeably. And then, of course, He brings them together, doesn't He, in verse 39. It's the love of God in Christ Jesus. And there you see that you can't separate those. You can't pull them apart and say there's one or the other. It's God loving us, but He's loving us in the person of Jesus Christ. God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The Father is the initiator, but then there is one God, and this one God came in the person of Christ and died for us. And so this this love, we see the scope of it, and then we see the giver of this love, God in Christ loving us supremely and perfectly and infinitely. Sometimes uh, it's made out to be that Christ was the one who loved us and he had to win this reluctant father, you know, this hard-nosed father of the Old Testament. And then Jesus won him over and, and reconciled him to the situation. But no, it's quite the opposite. 
God is the initiator. God loved us. God sent His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God was in Christ reconciling the world. And this is coupled with what Jesus said over and over. He says, I do nothing, nothing on my own initiative. I don't make a move without the Father. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the love that we see in Christ and all the action of Christ, it is the Father displayed. It is God himself displayed in flesh before us. It's a magnificent love of God that came in the person of Christ. And in our Wednesday night study, we've been seeing the importance of this in John Stott's teaching on the cross, that it wasn't that, that God set up this third party, this innocent person, and punished this person instead of sinners. But no, it was God in this person taking on punishment himself. The judge himself judging himself in our place. So God is not you know, distant or unwilling to suffer and put it on a third party. No, God took the suffering on himself. God loved us in the person of Christ. And of course, that's the love from which we cannot be separated. That's the love that defines our lives. So the scope of this love, the the giver of this love, and then we have the effectiveness of this love. He says in verse 37, in all these things, in all these terrible things he's described in verse 35 and other things he'll describe afterwards, in the midst of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, the word more than conquerors is the Greek word that starts with hyper, okay? We, we know, in fact, I looked some things up in the dictionary. Hyperactive, we're familiar with that. Uh, hypercritical, hypercautious, hypercompetitive, hyperefficient, hyperenergetic, hyperintense, hyperromantic. Wow. Hypersensitive, okay? All these hypers. That's the word here. Hyper conquerors. Hyper conquerors, not just conquerors, but these supreme conquerors. It's like if you say, hey, how did the football game go the other night? I said, well, we won. Oh, you did? Well, what was the score? 84 to 0. 84 to 0? What happened? He said, well, we got the ball 12 times, we scored 12 times. And we kicked extra point every time. Well, how did they do? He said, they were minus 47 yards on the night. And they didn't have a first down. And you wouldn't say, oh, well, you won then, didn't you? You know, <laughs> No, you just didn't win. You, you'd say, you annihilated them. Or if you wanted to be sarcastic, you'd say, well, then, then you won then, didn't you? You know, it's kind of an understatement about it. That's what's stated here. It's not just squeaking by, not just barely making it, getting to the other side. Although, of course, the difficulty, the strain, the pain, the tears, the hollowness that we feel, the ache, all of those things for real. I don't mean that we go giddy through this life. But in terms of being made like Christ, in terms of being conformed to his image and growing in grace, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
He loves us so intensely, He would not let anything but that happen. And you see, that's the flip side of all things assist you. And the flip side of nothing is against you. Therefore, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. There's a war fought. An army goes against another army. You say, how many casualties did you sustain? We didn't have a casualty. Well, one guy bumped his head on the tank when he was getting out, but it was just a little goose head and goose egg and nothing big. That was it? Yeah. What were their casualties? 47,792. Whoa. That's huge. He said, yeah, it'd be more, but that's all there was. <laughs> Nobody else left. Completely wiped them out. And again, you wouldn't say, well, well, you won the battle then. You know, as though the casualties were even you just say, Golly, how, how, how could you have won so definitively, so absolutely? That's the feel of this language. It's to give us confidence that in the middle of the most disastrous things, the most capricious things, the things that seem to drive us crazy, why this at this time? Maybe you felt that. That Paul can say, in those very things, for those who trust him, we're hyper conquerors through him who loved us. So the effectiveness of this love. Chrysostom said that our enemies become means of further crowns and immense blessings. That was a new thought to me. Our enemies become the means of further crowns in heaven. So much are we conquerors. So much can this not hold back what God's going to do. This terrible thing will be the means of even increased blessing for the people of God. And so Tom Schreiner, the Reformed Baptist up in Louisville, has written an excellent commentary. says, all things become a gift for believers through the Lord Jesus Christ. All things become a gift for believers through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the giver, uh, the the scope of this love and the giver of this love, um, the effectiveness of this love, the motivation of this love, and I'll be brief here because we've talked about this in other ways, but His love that we see in Christ, in the gift of His own Son, it's what gives us our perspective. It's It's what gives us what I'd call our sustaining perspective. It dictates our view of events. It defines the circumstance that we're in. The relational difficulty is defined by this. He freely, graciously, as the word indicates, he graciously gives us all things because he has given us his son. And so these very circumstances are... The, the means in which, uh, and, and, well, the question can come up, well, what about my own sin? It says all these things will not separate me, but can I separate myself? Well, as several pointed out, these are the circumstances in which believers are very likely to turn away from him, right? These difficulties are what attack our faith and attack our sense of God's love. And the promise is, These will not destroy your sense of His love. 
These will not take you away from Him, you who are His. And so, yes, it includes even your own person, even your own reaction. The work He has begun, He will complete until the day of Christ Jesus. Or as He puts it at the end of 1 Thessalonians, Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Same basic stuff as Romans 8, isn't it? Same basic thing. He will bring you to that point. It's important in the fifth place, uh, like, oh, I thought there were only three points. There's six, okay? Um, The association of his love. uh, It says, for his sake, right? Um, The idea of, for your sake, verse 36, we are being killed all the day long. Uh, so it's not evidence that you are not his. It is evidence that you are his. It's evidence of his ownership of you that you suffer. That's the meaning of scripture. Rejoice because you're being associated with the prophets who suffered. You're being associated with Christ who suffered. What else would you expect that this is going to be a part of your life? Uh, Hebrews 12 says, if there's no discipline, you you have reason to think you're not a true son of God. You're not a child because he disciplines those who he loves. He doesn't neglect them. He disciplines them. He works in their lives. Calvin says, if you don't want to suffer, then you don't want to be among his chosen. Ooh, that's a good way to look at it. If you're among His chosen, then He's chosen you to suffer. He's chosen you for this. These things come to those who are called according to His purpose. Notice the association, those called according to His purpose. And then He lists all these things that will happen to those called according to His purpose. So this must be a part of His purpose. This is part of bringing us to that final conformity to Christ. These are not in the way of that. They're part of it. These are his instruments for it. But as you've heard it said before, but you got to want it. You got to want it bad. You got to want conformity to Christ so badly that you're ready to give everything away for it. You get that feel, and we won't read the whole thing, but in Philippians 3, where Paul says, I count all things as rubbish for the sake of the knowledge of Christ. That's the fundamental definition of his life. Everything else, if it interferes with this one thing, and he goes on to talk about it, of knowing Christ and being conformed to Christ and reaching the upward call in Christ, it's rubbish. That's my life. Rubbish? Christ. (laughs) Now, it means all creation can be enjoyed in Christ, but sin, anything that interferes, stands in the way of that. I cast it aside. And so... When we want this, when we desire it, then it means being willing to suffer anything. And that's why back in verse 17, he says, We're children, we're heirs of God, and we're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him. So you're made a fellow heir with Christ. That's good. Therefore, you will be a fellow sufferer with Christ. What else can it be? There are no fellow heirs with Christ that aren't fellow sufferers with Christ. That's why Peter himself says, don't be surprised 
at the fiery trial. Don't be surprised that bad things would happen to you. This is part of your calling in Christ. This is part of your heirship. It's part of your royalty, really. It's part of your royalty of God so valuing you and treasuring you that He's doing the greatest thing for you. He's conforming you to His Son. He's conforming you to His Son. Imagine an 11-year-old girl selected for a special Olympics training that's going to go over a five-year period, say, and she's going to be in the, hopefully, the Rio de Janeiro Olympics in 2016. First time in South America, right? First time in Portuguese, a Portuguese-speaking country. So she enters into this training, and of course you expect, boy, it's going to step up. If you're training for the Olympics, it's going to step up. But you talk to her after six months, and she says, well, I'm a little pudgier than I used to be. Um, I have more money, that's good. Um, I'm more comfortable than I was. Um, it's not as hard on my joints because we don't work so hard. I'm into Miley Cyrus a lot more than I used to be. Um, I'm, I'm all over Facebook. Uh, it, it's just great, you know. And sometimes we want to make that deal with God. My life is terrible. Please, I'll be yours. Just fix it. You know. Well, now, morally, he is going to fix you. And in how you relate to other people and love other people, He is going to fix you, okay? But in terms of your circumstances, and sometimes they're related to your morality, and I understand that, but in terms of circumstances to say, everything's going to turn out really good for you, I'm not going to make that deal. Because that's not what you really need. That's what not, I don't really need. That's not the ultimate treasure in life. The ultimate treasure in life is to be in fellowship with God and to be like God. And that's what he holds out there. And so you want to make this deal with God and you say, God, I, I want my life to turn out good. I want it to be comfortable. And God says, well, okay, I've got some things in the trunk that I offer people. Look in there and see what you find. You know, you rummage around in there and say, persecution, I don't want that, tribulation, <laughs> distress, danger, sword. I don't see anything in here for me. He said, was there something attached to those? Did you notice? No. No, no, no. Was there something attached to each one of those? Maybe. We'll pick them up again and read it. Distress, uh, conformity to Christ. Okay. Pick up another one. Persecution, conformity to Christ. Okay. See, you get the point. That's what he offers you. That's what he offers you. Salvation, you know, conformity to Christ. I know it's late. I'm just going to close with this one illustration. And I'm going to leave off. I'll, I'll touch on 38 and 39. We'll deal with that later. Um, but our, our daughter, uh, our granddaughter, Harper, uh, is a, a little girl that loves to go somewhere. Always loves to go. And of all things, she loves to go to Walmart because it's somewhere to go, you know, in her little town where she lives. So when Kay had her here, we, we, she was visiting us for several days, uh, and they went to Central Market. Well, you go into Central Market and you put your quarter in and there's fruit, you know, and she's excited about everything. She says, Nana, 
bananas, you know, bananas. They're so excited already. And, and in Central Market, you know, there's little stands and they're offering this and that. And uh, they do all kinds of stuff all the way through Central Market. And she is so funny. About 10 minutes in, she says, I'm not at Walmart. <laughs> I'm not in Kansas anymore. This is, this is full technicolor right here. This is, this is great. Well, along those lines of this little girl who likes to go somewhere, just this past week, uh, Melly, her mom, uh, was changing her diaper. And in keeping with what she likes to do, Harper says, where are you taking me today? I got to go. I got to go. Where are you taking me today? And she says, nowhere, honey. We're just going to be at home. And she says, "Uh uh-uh, I want to go yes where. Opposite of nowhere, all right? <laughs> she wants to go yes where, not nowhere. She didn't know the word somewhere, so. But I've just taken that as a metaphor for life. And this passage is basically saying concerning your life, it's yes where, right? <laughs> I think of the promise in 2 Corinthians 1 where he says, all the promises of God are in Christ. It says in Him, but He means Christ. In Christ, yes. Yes. And nothing can oppose you. God's for you. Nothing can be against you. Yes. You're going yes where, not nowhere. All things assist you. You're going yes where, not nowhere. He will freely give you all things. You're going yes where. You are more, you are hyper-conquerors. In Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. We're going yes where by his grace. Let us pray. Oh Lord. Um, we, we can't begin to conceive of what it means. That God loved us before time. Set his love upon us. Made perfect, strong, immovable plans to bring us to himself and have a relationship with us that would never end and to bless us with every conceivable good and really for us human beings, inconceivable good because it's not a human salvation. It's the salvation of the infinite God whose love knows no boundaries. Lord, enable us Enable us, Lord, to believe you, to see you, to lay hold of your glory and greatness in Christ Jesus. Bless us, Lord, that we will be nourished on all that you reveal yourself to be for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my life.
blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?